I don't know about you, but I love the Lord. And I don't know about you, but I love being in the house of God every Sunday with the people of God. It's the highlight of my week and uh, really the delight of my life is to be with God's people worshiping the God that we love and serve, the God who cleansed us and washed us by his own blood, wrote our names in the Lamb's Book of Life and sealed us unto the day of redemption by the earnest of the Holy Spirit inside of us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Amen? Amen. I'm, I'm glad to be a child of God. I mean to tell you, uh, you know, even more so, I'm, you know, beyond that, I'm glad to be a Pentecostal child of God. I, I love the power and the working of the Holy Spirit, and the anointing is uh, incredible. We, we depend on the anointing, the, uh, the power of God working in our life. And I was thinking about this last week when I was, uh, you know, reminiscing about uh, my life and about how God has saved me and rescued me from an incredible um, background, uh, as probably many of you as well. Um, I did not grow up in a Christian home. I grew up in a very dysfunctional home that uh, we did not know Christ. My parents did not know Christ. But uh, when I uh, became uh, a 14-year-old, uh, somebody invited me to a Halloween party, a Youth for Christ Halloween party. Now, I say, well, you celebrate Halloween. Well, back then they did, and they had this gory stuff going on, but then they presented the gospel, and this uh, uh, pretty girl who invited me, you know, and she was, uh, uh, you know, right by my side, and she said, you want to go down, don't you? And they're giving the invitation. Well, of course, you know, if a pretty girl asks you when you're a 14-year-old boy, you're going to do what she tells you, right? I may remember being 14, guys. I mean, and so I went down, but I, and I prayed a prayer around a campfire, you know, and I didn't know what I prayed. I just did what I was told. I, it didn't touch me. I was not born again then. But the next night, she invited me to come to a Youth for Christ rally in Kansas City, Kansas. Um, actually, Shawnee Mission, Kansas, where the Youth for Christ uh, uh, auditorium was there. And there was about 1,200 of uh, teenagers there sitting in the audience up in the balcony in the main floor. And they did an incredible a service geared towards young people, and I heard the gospel preached in a way that I understood it, and I gave my life to Jesus that night, and I was born again by the Spirit of God. My name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Coming out of that dysfunctional, abusive home life, I mean to tell you, it was night and day. It was night and day. You know, it was stark, and uh, from that time on, I just, you know, I was a blasphemer. I used every filthy word, uh, you know, uh, you know how boys are and they impress their friends with how, you know, you can cuss and swear worse than the other one and talk about filthy things. And I mean, tell you after that, my heart, my life was so clean on the inside. How many remember I felt so clean? I felt like the dark and the filth and the oily, greasy blackness of my soul was wiped clean. And I, man, I just felt so good and so clean. You know, what is that? What was that? You remember it when in your life? I'm not the only one who's experienced this when you're born again. But I mean to tell you, it, it was the sanctifying cleansing, the washing away of my sins by the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of the cross, the perfect and only atonement for our sins is the innocent blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, slain from the foundations of the earth. And he changed me. You know, what I didn't understand, you know, from that point on, I went to, 
uh, Tuesday night Youth of Christ rallies, or not rallies, but clubs, and, you know, heard preaching there. It was always about salvation. Saturday night, always about salvation. You know, I wasn't going to a really good church that really helped disciple me, and so the problem with that is there was very little change. I had a King James Bible. I didn't understand what I was reading, and so consequently, I didn't grow like I should have. But I want you, how many know, you understand now, that when you become a child of God, that you need to start walking and, and walking in Him and reading His Word, studying His Word, so that the Word of God, listen, God uses the Word of God as a cleansing agent to sanctify us, to cleanse us, to wash us. Because the moment I received Christ when I was 14 years old at that Youth for Christ rally on November the 1st, 1969, do the math, you'll find out how old I am. Listen, I was saved, I was cleansed. In God's eyes, when he looked at me, he saw no sin, no unrighteousness. He saw a perfectly clean child of God. He adopted me as his child. And, and so I was cleansed. But you know what? Because we still live in these sinful bodies, in this sinful world, we need to be continuously cleansed. Does that make sense? It's called the second phase of sanctification. There's two phases of sanctification. There's the instantaneous, the moment we receive Christ as Savior, and then there's the continuous cleansing where He washes us and cleanses us daily as we cooperate with His grace. Amen. And so, you know, John 3.16 is a probably one of the most well-known Bible verse in all the world, and it's for this is how God loves the He loved the world. He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. I'm so glad that Jesus died for everyone. See? But it's the each individual who makes the choice to receive that gift are the ones who get to be born again and become a child of God. Uh, and there's a proof of the Christian walk. You know, you can tell when somebody has changed. And I tell you, you know, it, it's, it's, it, my dad, when he got saved, you know, he, he, you know there was a chance, you know, because I knew him, uh, uh, that many times he came close to death, and then he would start talking like he was going to get saved, and then when he realized he was going to live, then he would mock and make fun of the people who tried to win. But, you know, when he got saved in, in the ICU unit of KC, uh, uh, KU Med Center, when, when I pr- led him in a prayer of repentance, he changed. You could feel it in your spirit, in your soul, that he was not the same person, that he really got saved. He got saved. And his life was different. Now, his, his soul was saved. His life was, had been wasted because he died uh, probably a week later. But he went to heaven, see? And he went to heaven, but... His life was changed. There was an evidence of his salvation because his attitude had changed. And 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 14 and 15 says this. This is the proof of a Christian life. Is Christ's love controls us. It doesn't mean manipulate. It doesn't mean that, that uh, he takes over. But uh, the love of Christ, once it's in our heart by our born-again experience, it motivates us. Uh, we are captivated by His love. Captivated by His love. We can't help but love people. We can't help but care whether they go to heaven or they go to hell. We have a burden for the lost. The love of Christ controls us. It motivates us. It stirs our heart 
to have compassion on the people that God has compassion of. And, and Paul goes on to say, since we believe that Christ died for everybody, for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life, evidence of salvation. There are things that I did before when I got, after I got saved that I didn't do anymore. In fact, I didn't want to do it anymore. You know, it doesn't happen to everybody, so I'm not saying this is the but I couldn't use a profane word anymore. I couldn't blaspheme anymore. You say, and I did all the time. I, I was involved in other things that I'm ashamed of, and I couldn't do that anymore. Why? Because the love of Christ was in my heart, and I knew that this is, <clears throat> this is not right. It's not pleasing to God. And I, I loved him so much, I didn't want to hurt him. I didn't want to offend God. So Christ died for everybody, but we who believe, we also uh, believe that we've died to our old life. He died for everyone, verse 15 says, for everyone, so that those who receive, those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Say, before it's living for myself. I had plans, long, short-term and long-term plans when I was 14. You know, I, I had plans that I was going to get out of that house, away from my dad, just as soon as I possibly could. I even planned to run away. Even, and, you know, I had a part-time job and I was making money and I thought, you know, if I could just get away, maybe I could find a, a room to rent and I could just, you know, I made plans for the future. I had plans to be immoral. I intentionally planned to be immoral. I intentionally planned to, to get what I could, all that I could get, say, but once I received Christ, I no longer live for myself. My plans took second place to his. Uh, and Paul says that, that instead they live for Christ. They will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. We live for him. That was my greatest desire. Now when a person is truly born again, truly born again, your life changes. You're no longer the same. Everything changes and is being changed. Not just changed, but is being changed. And it doesn't matter what your past is or was. It doesn't matter how evil you have been, how much evil you have done, how immoral uh, you have lived in life, uh, how far you were from God once. Once you cry out to the Lord for salvation, believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died for you, it's all over. Your past is done. Salvation takes place in your soul. Uh, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you. He writes the name of the Lord on the tables of your heart and the laws of God there. He writes your name in a book in heaven called the Book of Life. The other books that are recorded there who records our evil deeds and our sins are all blotted out and wiped clean. And this is called what it means to be born again by the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God from that point on and that point forward is at work inside of you to transform your thinking uh, by the washing of the water of the Word. He is sanctifying you continuously as you cooperate with His grace. Inwardly, He's cleansing you from your past and from your evil thoughts and changing you into a new person fashioned after His Son, Jesus Christ. That's the good news of the gospel. That's good news. 
It's not just that your sins are forgiven. It's not just that you have a home in heaven. But your life can be sanctified. It can be changed. You don't have to live the useless, futile life that you once lived for yourself, which leads to nowhere. It brings no satisfaction. It brings no joy. You might enjoy the pleasures of sin, and I'm not denying there's pleasure in sin, but you have guilt afterwards, and you have judgment afterwards. When you live for Christ, everything changes. Everything is different. Everything is different. So from the time you receive Christ as Savior, the Spirit of God is working inside of you, and He's sanctifying you inwardly, cleansing you from your past and changing you into a new person. Now, this is true for every single person. It's, it's not just for people who have been good, because I was not good. I was far from being good. I, I was told I was a nice boy. Oh, I, he was responsible, that he was respectful to adults. But inwardly, I was corrupt. Inwardly, I was evil. Inwardly, I gushed with sin. And my, my thoughts were very evil. And my intentions were not good. How many know you can put on a good face to the people around you that you want to impress, but inwardly you can be evil on the inside? Evil on the inside. Well, until Christ comes and he changes you from the inside out. You know, what is it, how does this work? Uh, it works this way. Old things pass away once we receive Christ. And I like that. Because the old things in your life, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone, say anyone, I can tell you, anyone, whether Jew or Gentile, doesn't matter what color of the skin you have, it doesn't matter what neighborhood you grew up in, what house you grew up in, doesn't matter who your parents were, who your people are, doesn't matter what nationality you are, doesn't matter what color of skin you are, anyone who is in Christ he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. All things become new. Now, Paul wrote from personal experience because Paul, as you remember, was a persecutor of the church. Uh, he held the coats of those who were stoning Stephen, the first martyr in the church in the book of Acts, and he egged them on while they were stoning him and cheering them on, urging them, you know, get some more stones, throw them, kill them, and the blood was flying uh, he tried to destroy the church before he met Christ on the road to Damascus. In fact, he was on the road to Damascus with arrest warrants, with authority from the chief priests and from the Sanhedrin to arrest men and women, boys and girls, anyone who called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, to bring them back in chains to Jerusalem to be judged. And yet Paul had a detour on the road to Damascus. Jesus showed up in his life. I don't know about you, but I like it when Jesus shows up in somebody's life because we're going one way and Jesus steps in. Thank God for the grace and the mercy of God when he steps in and stands in your way and says you're going in the wrong direction. He did that with Paul. Paul got knocked off his horse from a bright light from heaven. The power of God is probably the first person maybe to be slain in the spirit in the New Testament. He got slain, laid out on the ground. Uh, he, he was instantly blinded. Uh, he heard a voice from heaven uh, saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul's like confused in a state of confusion, said, who are you that I'm persecuting? Who are you? Who are you? I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. How many know that when somebody persecutes a child of God that Jesus takes it very personally? It, it, you're touching the apple of his eye when someone attacks uh, one of his people, one of his covenant people. And Paul, uh, Saul, it became Paul later, but Saul said, you know, uh, 
got up from the ground. Jesus gave him instructions. Paul got saved. He got saved. Now, I don't know about you, but I was like that, going in one direction with my intentions and my plans. And Jesus showed up and stood in the way. I didn't get knocked off a horse. I didn't get knocked to the ground. I wasn't blind, blinded, but I was blind, but now I see. I turned in a different direction. I'm so glad that Jesus still, by the Holy Spirit and the power of God, intervenes in people's lives. Paul wrote from his personal experiences and said, you know, all the things that he did, his life was totally transformed. In fact, his life was so, uh, was so corrupt and so evil uh, that when he tried to be introduced and meet the apostles in Jerusalem, that there was whispers going around that it's just an act. He's trying to find out where the church meets. He's trying to get on the inside. He's a spy until uh, he was taken uh, personally to meet the apostles and given uh, a place for them. So uh, his life was changed, basically. My life has changed. Has your life changed since you found Christ as Savior, since he intervened in your life? Romans chapter 6, verse 17 says, Paul says again, thank God. I mean, he's excited about this as he's writing. Thank God. Once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey the teaching that we have given to you. So Paul's talking about a transformed life. And he's talking about to the Romans, but he's also in the ever-present Word of God, which is relevant to every generation until Jesus comes. He's talking to you and he's talking to me. Thank God. And I say thank God with the apostle because I was once a slave to sin, but now. I like the but now. But now you're different. You're changed. The difference in the Christian life from the old life is stark. It's uh, night and day. Now, Paul says uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9 through 11, and I know this is a lot of uh, verses, you know, but the Word of God is so powerful. Paul is telling the Corinthians, don't you realize? Now, this Corinthian church, this letter in 1 Corinthians was a corrective letter. It was a letter of rebuke for the abuses that they were uh, involved in in the church that they were uh, abusing a lot of things, and uh, yet they were charismatic. You know, they were flowing in the Spirit. The gifts were flowing, and, and, and they were living a double life, many of them living in sin. You know, Corinth was a, the, one of the most immoral spots and cities in the, in the world at that time, the Roman world. And it, had, it was a byword. Corinth it was a byword for calling somebody a pervert or an immoral person. They said, you're a, you're a Corinthian. You were telling them you're an immoral pervert. Did you know that? And, and so Paul's writing them, but you know, can I just tell you this? Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. Jesus showed up in Corinth through the preaching of the gospel. He was a light in that dark culture, in that dark world. We need the church, Jesus to show up through the church in our culture. You know, it's time that there was a difference between right and wrong and the profane and the godly and the holy. But Paul said to them, don't you realize that those who do wrong, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves, he says. Those, and he goes through this list of sins. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols. There was a lot of uh, temples uh, idol te where idols were worshipped, temples where idols were worshipped, where there were male and female prostitutes. Anything went in Corinth. He says, uh, those who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive 
or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, now here, verse 11, listen to what Paul says. Some of you were once like that. Okay, Some of you were once like that. Now, can I, can I just say more than likely, uh, between this crowd that we have here today, here in church, and those watching by live stream or those taking in the... Uh, the live stream at some point, either today or later, is that some of you were like that once. Now, we don't go around wanting people to divulge the evil things that they have once done in their lives or the temptations that they have had to endure or still endure uh, to do something evil, whether it be same-sex attraction or whether it be any kind of a perverted lifestyle or immoral practice, whether it's adultery or fornication or whether it's uh, cheating people or drunk, being drunk or abusive, cheating people, greedy people, thieves. But Paul says some of you were once like that. Paul had known the lifestyles of some of those people. And he wasn't throwing it in there if there's sin in their face. He was saying that, hey, you used to be like that. Now, that's what he says. But you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our Savior. You used to be like that. Now, I don't know about you, but there's things in my past that I'm not proud of. There are things that I engaged in, both before I got saved at the age of 14 and when I backslid after that, between there and 18 years old, that I did some things that I'm ashamed of today. But you know what I don't? You know what I don't have? I don't have those sins against me because I used to be like this, but now I'm cleansed, now I'm washed. Now I've been washed. The blood of Jesus Christ has blotted out my past. He's blotted out the things that I still remember, but God says I choose to forget because it's under the blood. I am clean before my Lord. I am cleansed and I am washed. My name is written in the book of life. I belong to him and he belongs to me. I like what Paul said in Ephesians 2, 12, or excuse me, 2, 1 and 2. Uh, actually, just first one. And he said, "He, you, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. I was dead in trespasses and sins. And he made me alive. The resurrection power of Christ lives in my mortal body and in yours when you trust Christ. The, the power of the Holy Spirit is operating on the inside of my soul. The Holy Spirit is prompting me with thoughts of doing good and avoiding what is evil. When I'm tempted, and how many know you still get tempted? I don't care how old you get, as long as you're breathing, you have the potential to fall into some temptation, whether it's lust, uh, some kind of immorality, or doing something wrong. I'm just being honest. We are susceptible to that. You know, that's why Paul says, when you're judging someone else, consider yourself, lest you also are tempted. But I can tell you that he is at work in me. My trespasses and sins which made me dead, I'm now alive. I'm cleansed and I'm washed. And he helps me with the Spirit of God to say no. See? To say no from my heart when my 
brain when my old sin nature wants to say yes to temptation. And the old sin nature can be very persuasive, can't it? What's it say? Nobody will find out. Nobody has to know. You can do it just once and, and then it'll be, God will forgive you. See? We get these little whispers of the enemy trying to lure us, trying to let us bite the baited hook of his lies so that he can reel us in and bring us into shame and to bring our testimony into disrepute. And yet Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, helps us to say no. Now I can tell you that if you have failed, and if you bit the baited hook and you sinned, just repent and ask God to help you. And he will cleanse you when we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he will help you to overcome that temptation the next time. Somebody say amen. I mean, that's called the grace and the mercy of God. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I need his grace and mercy every single morning when I get up. I, I need it to start all over again. And he, he starts it all over again. I'm so glad that when he saved me, he didn't save me and forgive me. And then the first time I sinned, he said, well, you're, you lost your salvation. You know, what's Paul saying up earlier, and I read in verse 9, don't you realize that those who do wrong won't inherit the kingdom of God? He wasn't saying that if you fail, you're going to lose your salvation. He was simply saying that if you choose to indulge in this, you choose to live this way, you choose to practice this sin, you choose to make this a part of your lifestyle and think you're going to go to heaven, think again. You're living a double life, and you're not serious about serving God. You want to keep one foot in the world, one foot in heaven. And there's no, there's no line you can walk to do that. You either get in or out. You know, when I was uh, 15 and a half, when I backslid, that's what I did. I struggled so much with sin. I struggled with temptation, and I felt so bad. I wasn't in a good church where they could mentor me, where they could teach me, where they could help me learn and understand how to overcome temptation. I was just listening to salvation messages each week, twice a week, and, and I finally got so frustrated and felt so guilty. I thought, God hates me. I keep asking forgiveness, and God's tired of me. The devil was whispering in my ear, and so I finally just said, God, I'm not going to serve you anymore. I'm walking away, and I'm going to do whatever I want. You know, how do, why did I do that? Because I believed the lie. And then the lie after that, when I regretted what I had done, and I was under conviction, I, I wanted to serve God. I got so, felt so empty and so lonely on the inside. Every time I was, got drunk and was the life of the party, and people would, you know, pat me on the back, boy, you were so funny at the party, and I thought, I don't remember anything. I don't remember having fun. All I remember is the next morning, and I remember later that night probably hanging my head out a window and vomiting out the car because I drank too much. And remember the next morning with the head hangover, the headache, and the, you know, feeling just lousy and feeling guilty and ashamed. And then worrying about what I did. What did I do that I, that I have to live down now? See, That's a life of sin. And people said, boy, you were so fun. I didn't feel fun. And I began to think on those Sunday mornings after a Saturday night party, God, I wish, I wish I had never walked away from you. Oh, God, I wish there was a way I could come back to you, but I know you hate me. I know you don't want me. See, that's what I believed. See, it wasn't until somebody 
My sister got saved. My mother got saved. My grandmother got saved. My aunts and uncles got saved, and the brat had a big revival. And my sister began to work. She began to intercede and pray for me. She interceded on her knees with tears. And she spoke life into me. And she said, God loves you. You belong to him. I don't care what you have done. God doesn't care. He wants you back. And he is going to chase you down until the day you die. Because he loves you that much. And when she said that, it was like this conflict on the inside. It was like, this can't be true. This isn't true. And I know demonic spirits were riled and angry, and I felt so uncomfortable. She was holding my hand. And I thought, you know, I, well, I just, and she was praying for me, and I thought, I need to get out of here. But you know what? It broke the lie in my soul. And I began to think, maybe, maybe. Maybe I can come back. Maybe God doesn't hate me. Maybe, boy, if that's true. And, and I began to think about those things, and I came back to the Lord, and he cleansed me, and he washed me. You who are dead in your tra- sins and transgressions, he made you alive. He resurrected me from the dead. He called me back and he filled me with his Holy Spirit. You know, Christian life is marked by change and sometimes even after we become a Christian, we screw up. How many screw up after you, you know, you sin sometimes and, you know, that's why we need the mercies of God every single morning. I heard a uh, story on the 700 Club, a, a new book that Bubba Watson did. If you don't know who Bubba Watson was, you're not a golfer, but he was one of the greatest golfers in our time. He's won the U.S. Open a couple of times, which is phenomenal and incredible thing, the greatest golf uh, uh, championship that you could win. But he was sharing his testimony uh, from a new book that he had written, and he was talking about his life with Christ. He said, uh, being a great success in his field was an incredible stress factor for him that he began to uh, break down from the pressures of his livelihood and, and the expectations of him and trying to relive his successes and everything and said that he got so, uh, so much under stress and so much under the pressure in his mind is that he lost 70 pounds and was down to skin and bones and he said he remembered falling on the floor and weeping and crying like a baby because he didn't know what to do. And his wife was a Christian. He had already accepted Christ, but he was not living for Christ the way he should. And, and, uh, and, and then he was, uh, made a decision to follow the Lord. He was going to get right with God. And uh, he was out on the golf course one time, and something happened, and he had a breakdown. He just melted down. He had a meltdown. And he began to throw out profanity and filthy talk. And he walked off, went into his team where his team was at, his friends were at, and they said, you know, I thought you were a Christian. And you're out there talking like that. And he said instantly, his, the guilt. And he said, you're right. See, he could have got mad. He's a big shot. You know, some of them worked for him. He said, you're fired. You know, you talk to me like that. But instead, he humbled himself. And he said, you're absolutely right. Will you forgive me for what I did? And I'll, I'm repenting of that, and I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to repent and ask God to forgive me. Would you forgive me? He responded in the right way. Too often we respond in a bad way. Our pride gets in the way. But he said through the course of him choosing to repent when he failed God, choosing to take responsibility for his actions, that his life began to be transformed, that the cleansing 
the sanctification process in his life began to change him from the inside out. He received healing in his soul from the Lord. And he's living for the Lord Jesus to the best of his ability. Now, Christians, like this story, we're not perfect. Anybody here perfect? If anybody's here perfect, please come up and take over. You can be the pastor. You can, uh, we'll, man, I'll follow your ministry. But we all have issues because of our sin nature. Every single one of us. Every single one of us has the propensity to bow to temptation and bring shame and disrepute to our life. But God. Say, but God. But God. And, and not just but God, but God, God using our brothers and sisters in Christ to encourage us, uh, to help us, uh, really to kind of without being pushy or demanding, to demand excellence from us because we want to encourage one another while it is still day because the night comes. See, we need to encourage each other as we see the day of the Lord approaching, Hebrews tells us. So I'm talking about new things. New things spring up, old things pass away. 2 Corinthians 5.17, the last part of that verse says, all things have become new. I'm so glad, you know, somebody says it really a translation could say all things are becoming new because it's progressive. It's progressive. God's not done with us yet. I, I, I remember I wrote down when I came up here, I thought, you know, I remembered something. Went to a conference one time, uh, a seminar, actually a week long, and, and at the end of it we got these buttons that we put on, like, you know, you put on your on a big pen, big round one, and it, and it just said this, P-B-P-W-M-G-I-N-F-W-M-Y, and it's just all those letters up there. And, and when you wear it, people say, what, what, what is that? What is that? That doesn't spell anything. And you know what it stands for, all those letters? It, it stands for, please be patient with me. God is not finished with me yet. Please be patient with me because God is not finished with me yet. You know, we need to be patient with each other because God's not finished with us yet. We still have the propensity to make mistakes. We still have the propensity to melt down. Uh, our temper can get the best of us sometimes, we who struggle with that. Our impatience, we can say things in impatience. We can get a little uh, snarky when we're in a public place or a restaurant when they're not serving us the way they should, and we can get a little bit uh, irritated about that. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You know, you know, big thing for me is somebody gets in front of me, they won't get out of the way in the car. It's like, would you get out of my way, please? <laughs> yeah, we got an attitude. But I'm so glad that new things spring up because with those thoughts and those temptations, the Holy Spirit quickens in me. My wife says, do you realize they cannot hear you? <laughs> and then she'll say, why are you so impatient? We're not in any hurry. And then I think, why am I in such a big hurry? Because I'm all, I have a busy life and I'm push, 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 drive, drive, drive. But I've got to watch that. Somebody say amen. Please be patient with me. God's not finished with me yet. Husbands and wives, you need to be patient with each other. You need to forgive each other. You need to love each other with the love of Christ. Not just a physical love and an emotional love, but the love of Christ. And you need to give each other grace. Because if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passing away. And behold, all things are becoming new. 
Uh, this verse uh, <clears throat> from the Greek, basically the verse from, <clears throat> uh, from the Greek talks about a brand new creature. It describes something that is brand new or recently made. Brand new or recently made. How many like new cars? I love the new car smell. I just don't like the price tag. <clears throat> I'd rather not have the new car so I don't have to have the payments. And, but I like a new car smell. When I get into somebody's new car and I think, ah, that smells good. I like that. I like new stuff. You know, I like new stuff. And, and, and uh, you know, God has made us. We have that new Christian smell. You, are you standing the, ta- the smell test? Those around you, can they smell that new Christian smell or do they smell some of the old stinking sin nature? You know, you got to pass the smell test. But this verse de- uh, describes something that is brand new or recently made. It carries the idea of something that is superior in quality. Superior in quality. I like new things, but I like more. I'd rather have something of greater quality, not just new. So let me say amen. That, that means I will never buy a Ford Fiesta just to get a new car. I'd rather not have a new car than to drive a little car. I don't like little cars. And so getting something new just to have it, I'd, I'd rather not. Thank you very much. But uh, when you think about this, means that Jesus Christ, came, when he came into your life, you were made brand spanking new. The new you is superior to the old you. In fact, you are so new that the verse calls you a new creature, which comes from the word creation, Right? And it's the same word that was used when God created the heavens and the earth out of nothing, spoke into the atmosphere, and something out of nothing was created. And when you trusted Christ as Savior, He spoke into your life, and you became a new creature in Him. Old things are passing away, all things are becoming new, because, listen, The God of creation is still speaking into your life every single day, every moment of your life, every moment of your life. Everything about you is new. You're an absolutely new, brand new creation. You're completely detached from the person that you once were before Christ. I'm glad of that. Psalms 103 verse 12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. I'm thankful for the truth of that verse. And number three, I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. A new purpose, you have a new purpose for your life. When you become a child of God and you're becoming a new creature, you have a new purpose for your life. Your old purpose really didn't amount to too much. It involved all of your loves and all your desires and all your plans for success. But 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That new you has been reconciled to God by the blood of Christ from the cross. And he has given us and given you the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, every single child of God who's been redeemed, whose name is written in the book of life, who is born again by the Spirit of God, whose spirit, the inheritance, uh, the earnest of the inheritance dwelling in you, Christ, the hope of glory, you have been called into the ministry. To whom much is given, much is also required. We've been given the greatest gift any person could ever receive. We've been given forgiveness. We've been given a home in heaven. We've been given favor with God. We've been adopted in His family. And now we have been given also the ministry of reconciliation. You have received, share what you've received. 
2 Corinthians 5.19 goes on to say that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us, say committed to us, he's committed to us the word of reconciliation, the message of reconciliation. Verse number 20 says, now then, we are, we are, remember we once were, you remember that? We once were these things. We once did these things. Now we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us personally. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We implore you to get saved. You know, when I witnessed to people, and I used to be in sales and traveling, I had my whole world was out there of uh, people's uh, acquaintances and total strangers. And I, <clears throat> I had this burden in my soul that God, you know, I heard that, you know, you, each one of us, were supposed to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Well, each one of us has a world. Are you, are you with me? Each one of us has a world, okay? You're in a world, your world, I, I can't be in your world. I, you know, if you work at the foundry, if you work at uh, Marinette Marine, or if you work at McDonald's, I'm not, I'm not in that world, but you are. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Make disciples of all nations. We are his ambassadors, his representatives to those who are outside the faith. And God is pleading through us, through us to people outside the faith. Please, we, we beg of you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. There is a way that you can be born again to. Your sins can be cleansed. Other people may be like me who believe the lie that I've gone so far that God doesn't love me. God doesn't want me. I'm never going to be good enough for God. He, he wants no part of me. People believe lies like that because the devil is still a liar. He's just, he deceives people. He defrauds them out of what God wants them to have. And just like my sister did to me, you do for them. God loves you. It doesn't matter what your life has been like. It doesn't matter how dysfunctional you have been. It doesn't matter what your family life was like. It doesn't matter who your parents are. It doesn't matter how many sins you have committed. It doesn't matter how evil you have been. When you truly believe in Jesus, when you repent of your sins, He washes it all away. You can be totally clean. You can be righteous and holy just as you have, if you have never sinned. You know how many people are dying to hear the truth of God, to hear the good news. They're hungry. They don't know what they're hungering after. They don't understand. But it is up to us who are ambassadors for Christ to do it. Somebody said, well, pastor, don't we pay you to preach? You pay me. Listen, and I would do it for free because I have a call on my life. That's an honest truth. I did it for free before. I like getting paid, though. But I am called to equip the saints to do works of ministry and to challenge you, to encourage you, uh, to motivate you, to stimulate you to good works that God has called you to do beforehand. He created you to do these good works. And if you haven't talked to somebody about Jesus for a long time, you need to repent and ask God to open up my eyes like I did when I was in sales. God, open up my eyes so that I can see what you see. Open up my eyes to see somebody who needs to hear about Jesus. 
And I'm going to tell you, I'm not, I didn't do what I should have done, all that I could have done, but I'm going to tell you, I made a commitment and God opened up my eyes and I began to see people. And I'd watch them while I'm working. I'm working. I'm getting paid to work. I'm working. But I'm watching these people. And the Lord began to give me words of knowledge about them. That's the honest truth. He began to tell me that person's really depressed. That person's sad. He began to show me by observation, but also by the words of knowledge that some people are really going through a hard time. And I'd start asking, well, how do I do with this, God? Words of wisdom. God gives me wisdom. Ask them a question. Learn what their name is. And then call them. I used to have a better memory, by the way. And call them by name. Because I'm an acquaintance to them. They just see me in and out of the store. And I call them by name. And you would be amazed at when you call somebody by name who thinks nobody even knows who I am. I'm a nobody. And you call them by name, they stop. I'll never forget a guy named Tony. In this big, huge box store, one of the biggest and highest volume, volume stores, grocery stores in the metropolitan Kansas City area. And that was my account, one of my accounts. And I called him, hey, Tony, how are you doing? And he stopped, and he's just walking by. Hey, Tony. Oh, hey. And he starts walking. Next day, same thing. Next thing you know, he walks over to me and says hello to me. See, people are hungry for love. People want to know that people even notice them. That I'm worth something. That I'm worth something. Listen, you're worth so much. If you have never heard this, hearing online, you're worth so much that God sent his one and only son to pay the penalty of your sin by being nailed to a cross and beat until he was bloody as hamburger. He shed his blood for you so that you might be forgiven. He paid your penalty for your sin. And all you have to do is believe on his name and receive him as your Savior. I'd like you to bow your heads in prayer. Oh God, send out your Holy Spirit, Lord, uh, to every single person who has heard this message and open up their heart to receive the love of God. And for those, God, who know Christ as Savior, to feel the challenge and the, the exhilaration, the privilege of being called to be an ambassador for Christ to those who don't know Him as Savior. I'm just going to ask it in Jesus' name, God, Lord, for you to put that burden in our heart, Lord. Some people just need to begin inviting people to come to church. To just say, hey, would you come to church with us? We can go out to dinner afterwards. Or let's go have coffee sometime and talk to them about Jesus. I used to wonder, how, Lord, how can I get into that conversation? How can I turn the conversation? You know what? The Holy Spirit will show you. He will prompt you in an instant, in those situations, on what to say, what to do if you listen. Father, I pray that there'd be a commitment today to do just that, to be 
a witness for Christ, to be an ambassador, to make a difference in someone's life and their eternity. And Lord, I ask it in Jesus' name, before you open your eyes, raise your head, would you just raise your hand, the Holy Spirit talk to you today. Do you feel challenged? I, I, lift, lift your hands high. Yes, yes, God bless you. God bless you. I want you to have a burden for the lost, to make a difference. And if there's somebody here today, you say, Pastor, I just need to give my life to Jesus today. Would you lift your hands high right now? I'm going to look around just really quickly because it's late. Amen. Anyone online today, all you have to do is pray to God who will hear your prayers and ask him to forgive your sins and to come into your life. And he will do just that. And then you let us know you made that decision. So now, Father, I pray a blessing on each and every person that is here today. I pray today, Lord God, uh, for special needs that are represented here this morning. People who are struggling with issues, whether it's health, whether it's finances, or personally just need a fresh touch from you, from the Holy Spirit. God, I pray in Jesus' name for your Holy Spirit to just release and unleash your power and your love and your healing touch. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.